Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I got to say something about my guests, people. A lot of times, people I talk to would say, you know, how do you get these guests? And what I basically do is I bother them on Twitter. I bother them. I don't bother them. I send them a nice query on Facebook, a nice message on Twitter. And, and my guest today, it's very funny because when you send on Facebook, if you're not friends with people, they sometimes don't get the message. It goes into a different box and then they find out, they go, holy crap, I have this whole other box. So my guest today, I sent him a message. I was looking, I was telling Joanne, it was like a year ago I sent him a message and this has happened and he just got it. <laughs> he got back and I was like, awesome. But what's bummed was the show that he was on that I enjoyed so much, we'll talk about later, is no longer, which pisses me off. But uh, my guest is JC McKenzie. How you doing, JC? Stevie, how are you, man? Yes, I'm a, a technological luddite. I had, I, you know, I just checked in with Facebook in this new instant messenger thing and realized I had about 22 messages from people as far back as like 18, 19 months. So, so they all were pissed, of course, that I thought I had ignored them. They thought I had ignored them, but. That's not the case. I just don't know what I'm doing. Well, it's funny because me, I just think, you know, because actors probably get a lot of messages. And, you know, sometimes... No, no, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes you, I was just surprised because it was like, I looked at the date and that happened with uh, Dan Laurie. I just got back to me after like eight months. And I'm like, it's, yeah. it's, 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 oh, like a little, it's like a little present. Like I'm sitting there going, who am I going to book? And then you pop back. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, great. I, I told my That's girlfriend, great. I said, it's anything. So... Uh, so yeah, so we got a couple of mutual friends, right? Jessica Suck, Richard Gunn. Yeah, well, Gunn had worked with you. Gunn was on my show. Gunn and Jessica both came in when uh, when I was in studio. Uh, the people that have been on my show, you probably know all of them. You probably know Spencer Garrett and Larry Poindexter and Eric Powell. Oh, I know Spencer. Yeah, I've been seeing, seeing Spencer in rooms for thirty years. I know, so it's crazy. That's what's funny. All these I I, I used to I started off getting a lot of uh, character actors because. Let's get real. You guys, you guys are the interesting ones. You know, you guys have the good careers. You're the hustlers. You're, 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 you're the everyday man. So, anyway, I want to talk about your career. Now, now, you grew up in Canada. Now, as a kid, were you into the arts at all, or were you? No, not at all. I was into crime. I was kind of a juvenile delinquent, stealing cars, B and E's, you know, horrible things. Thank God I didn't get caught. I wouldn't be down the states, you know, with the record. But. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I didn't get into the arts until I saw my first play in New York City. It was a, called a tribute by Bernard Slade starring Jack Lemmon. I really, I really had avoided anything along those lines for most of my life. And then uh, I was kind of literally transformed as a result and thought I may want to teach and got involved in uh, a program at Concordia University called Drama and Education, Education Through a Means of Drama. And then I just kind of, I just kind of auditioned for the plays and ended up doing five that first year. Kind of got into it. Um, auditioned for a school called Lambda in England. Got in there, and then that's where I decided, yeah, I might as well give it a shot. You know, I had a lot of uh, discouraging kind of uh, people, not my, not necessarily my family, but anyone else. Uh, you know, telling me I'd never make a living, and but so I, you know, anyone listening, I, I just encourage kids all the time to do your own thing and don't listen to the naysayers. And nobody knows but you, and you make your own life. And you know, you don't want to regret it. Now, you know, all those platitudes. So. Now, what was like the, the the city you grew up, or where you grew up in Canada? You said you, were the naysayers from there or down the road, or was it was it odd for someone in your area? My to, God, they, you just just I ran into them everywhere. Uh, but I, I grew up in Ottawa. And then I, I moved to, I was in um, school at school in Montreal, University of Montreal. And then uh, I moved to Toronto, worked two years in professional theater uh, at the, one, one year at the Shaw Festival, which was a horrible experience. And, uh, and then I auditioned for the National Tour of Biloxi Blues uh, by Neil Simon and got that. And that's what got me down to the States. And I've been there ever since. I, I've been in New York or L.A., you know, since the tour many years ago. So, um, so it's been, so it worked out well. I have no desire to go back to Canada, really. I visit my folks, of course. But, so, so when um, you, when you yeah. got that touring with the Biloxi Blues, did you then get a green card or did you get a permit to work or, and did you also get your, your theater card in America? It was 
under the auspices of something at that time called an H-1 visa, which has moved, uh, from my understanding, to something called an O visa, which is like, a, you know, it's a temporary visa, and it was secured for me by the lawyers in, in, the, uh, in the production. And then I just kept getting it extended, not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, I was under a modeling visa at one point just to stay in the country, which was bizarre because I'm not attractive. So, uh, you know, I'd show up at the border and they say, what are you doing? And i say, I'm a model. <laughs> you know, they were like mortified. But, it, you know, it provided me, um, you know, the legal means to work in the country. Um, for many many years, and then I uh, and then I when I I booked uh, a series called Murder One, and after that I applied for a green card, paid a lawyer about ten thousand bucks, and uh, built up a case, a file, got a phone phone book thick case, and then um, and then I got in, and then I just became a citizen actually of of the states last year, last April, which is kind of a tricky just tricky in, experience, just in time to vote for like. The- you know what I mean? That's I know right. Just in time to vote. In fact, I just did vote. I voted in the primaries in California, and for I just submitted a, a mail-in vote for Clinton. Can I say that? I don't know. I oh yeah. You, you know, it's funny. We were we were sitting there. My girlfriend has a uh, a Hillary magnet on her car, and and our landlord's. Uh, is he's like a huge Trump supporter, and she's like, I hope he doesn't mess with my car. I mean, this guy, his wife was saying, wow. his wife was saying, you know, I've been with Gary for fifty years, and I can't handle it. He just doesn't shut up. <laughs> so it's, you can say Clinton. It's all he right. doesn't shut up about Trump. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I I, I joke around. Yeah. Like I I like to get him stirred up just because I'm like that. Like I'll go, hey man, what about that debate? And then he just. Gets unraveled, <laughs> and I, I just laugh because I, I just it makes That's me funny. laugh to see him get all crazy. So, what was it like? That's what, what, funny. I went, I took, I took my son to Cleveland two weekends ago to help at the uh, campaign headquarters in Cleveland, and they sent us out um, canvassing the first day into this very, very low income area. Frightening, man. They were not, and these would be logically, these would be sort of Democratic supporters or people maybe on the cusp being pushed toward being dead, you know, voting for Hillary. But, wow, hostile and just just crazy behavior. Get the fuck off my lawn, you know, just, all right, all right, you know, we support Trump, just screaming at me. Wow. Um, <laughs> but it was a good experience for him because, you know, uh, I want to get him into politics as early as he, as, as he can sort of understand what's going on. And we we were on the we did the phone banks and he loved that so we were there for two days but uh, but uh, I, I hear it's uh, no we'll see and it's going to be interesting it's crazy so it's nuts but you're a citizen yeah. and that's good so now now how long when you were touring doing Biloxi Blues when did you decide that you know this this road work or this theater I mean because I know most actors have the love for theater first. But the money is always not that great. When did you decide that you had to make that break for TV or movies, and how did that happen? How did you make that uh, that conversion? I didn't even think about doing TV and movies. I just thought about being in theater the entire time. And contrary to popular belief, I was making a lot of money as a national tour of Blux. It was certainly more than I ever anticipated making as an actor. So, but once I got off, you know, uh, I had people interested, agencies interested, and they said, you know, that's where I can make my, like, significant money in TV and film. So uh, I signed with an agency, immediately got cast in a pilot called Have Faith, an ABC pilot called Have Faith, executive produced by John Ritter. Um, And then I, uh, you know, and it was, it wasn't really rewarding. Sitcoms at that time, and I haven't done one since, were very, very formulaic and kind of like, uh, you know, no, no overtly sort of realistic situations, just punchlines every three. And I couldn't stand it. And I ended up, and I guess that translated because I ended up getting fired or being replaced, actually, not fired, because. Uh, yeah, a guy, I think I was 23 at the time, and I was replaced by a large uh, African-American woman. So uh, so that was d- disappointing, because, and it would have killed me had the series gone, but uh, of course uh, it got canceled in six 
I was on to other things. You know, for me, it's like, you know, I, it's a closed world being a New York actor in terms of theater. And if you're not known, you're not getting in the door. Uh, I mean, it was only when I started doing television and being a serious regular on things that people in theater perked up and said, hey, let's offer him a role in the play. So I was a little, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to sound bitter or negative, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate. But that's, that's what it took to get me in the theater doors in New York, where, where was television and film. So um, my experiences in film have been, uh, you know, great ones, because I work with Scorsese a lot, but, you know, you don't get paid a lot for me as a character actor. And, you know, it's scale 10, take it or leave it. There's 10 guys behind that'll, you know, jump, jump in, stick a role in, in any of his stuff. But uh, it's just the artistic experience of working with a guy like that and being on set and seeing how the pros, like big time pro A-list stars work. And it's, uh, you know, it's not, it's not as daunting as I thought it would be. In fact, I've been, you know, on television shows with much lesser talents where people exhibit far more in the way of attitude than these big stars who are often very, very nice. Um, shockingly nice. So, uh, so it's been a been a good uh, been a good deal. The payment structure for film and television has changed dramatically, and where character actors used to make, you know, they used to meet quotes for character actors years ago. They stopped doing that. Now it's like, hey, you get scale and you get ten percent for your agent. That's it. But television, you can make money. Um, so uh, thank God they haven't uh, uh, dismissed. Uh, that payment for for actors, particularly act, character actors. Oh man, there's a great community of, of actors out there, and they're all you know they're all doing what we've been doing for years, and you know it's just such a nice it's a, a brotherhood of uh, you know for for actors out there, which is it's kind of cool. You see these guys, you know, after you know I've been seeing these guys for like as I said Spencer Garrett for thirty years, and you know they're just. Uh, you know, there's not, not a real competition because we're all still at it. And we all work. And anyway, I'm sort of blathering. Sorry, oh, oh, that's you fine. probably have an agenda. You want to? Oh no, that's this. You is, can cut half this shit out if you want. No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't edit. This is my whole show. I like to. I want to hear talk more about oh, your TV oh. career, but I want to know how did you meet up with Scorsese? And you've been in three or four of his films, I believe. I think three. I've been in three films and one TV series. Final. Uh, so. Yeah. I auditioned like anyone else uh, for Ellen Lewis as casting director, and uh, uh, I just uh, got into the first film I did was The Aviator. I played uh, Kate Blanchett's ex-husband Luddy, um, and I had this <laughs> this cool scene with uh, Kate Blanchett and Leonardo DiCaprio where we just kind of our family takes the piss out of him. We're, we come from a very wealthy family; we take the piss out of him. And uh, we get into a big fight. Uh, and it, anyway, and then I, um, I was in The Departed. I, uh, I got an, a straight offer for that, but just a small role. You know, I did some guy selling Matt Damon a, an apartment. And then, um, and then I did The Wolf of Wall Street, um, playing a, the prosecuting attorney that uh, you know takes him to task toward the end of the film. And then uh, I got a call to uh, audition for uh, Vinyl. I've had to audition for all of his things except for The Departed. So. He was um, but I, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Exactly. You're working for Scorsese. So now back to your TV career. Now you said you, know, you came out, you got that pilot, and then you were working along, and then it seems like Murder One was your first series. Now how did that come about? And you worked with Bochco, and I mean, were you sitting there, you were getting parsed? Do you have any pilots in between that first pilot and that, or were you just... Nah, man, I couldn't get arrested. You know, I'm an ugly character actor, so it's hard to get in the door. So uh, the part originally, as described in the character breakdown, was short, uh, 42, Jewish, um, and overweight. And I'm a tall, blonde wasp, and I think at the time I was 30, 32 or something. So I know Alexis Fogel, who's been a friend of mine for years, and she said, you're wrong for the part. And I said, just bring me in. I just, I just want to meet him. And as it turned out, I had a huge, I caught a flu two days prior to the audition. And I could, I could literally barely speak and just wanted to 
you know, crawl into my bed. I was in pain. Uh, so I had, uh, I, I had no nerves as a result, walked in and booked a role within 24 hours. Bachko at the time was kind of a titan of TV, so powerful that normally actors have to uh, test for networks, particularly a, a network show. And, uh, you know, Bachko at the time was so powerful, he could pick his actors, and, and uh, they, they didn't have to jump through hoops and going through a network, which is often a horrific experience. I don't know if your other actor um, guests have <laughs> described this whole the scene apparently it's changed now they don't they have actors you have actors well, often now because of technology we can audition from our homes or apartments wherever you are so um, so they're, they're they're having actors do that for test deals now which is kind of cool because and you can do it in the freedom of, and um, you're you're much more relaxed as a result which always makes for the best work so, so now you you get the part i mean and now what is it like now for you you're working with, a, as you said, Bosco is so so huge. I mean, I've heard, I've heard that his house is like has two entrances on two different streets. I mean, so the guy's yeah. done very well for himself. Yeah, and you're you're immediately part of the Bosco family. I mean, there's a lot of barbecues, dinners, you know, breakfast, brunches, things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a little, <laughs> it's great, man. And he he was really, I don't know what he's like now. I'm sure, he hasn't changed. He's really a sweetheart of a guy, really, really smart, knew what was important to uh, his actors and treated us accordingly. Um, so I have nothing but respect for Stephen. Um, and, and, you know, we thought the series got just enormous, got great critical acclaim. So we thought we were going to, I thought I was going to be on TV forever. Uh, and, you know, so it was shocking after... After the first episode, I think we were on against ER on Thursday night at nine or something, and just we just got killed. And then, then, then it just never kind of recovered. And by the end of the second year, we got canceled. Being canceled on a show as an actor after you've been working steady for two years is just horrific. Because you go back into rooms and you think things have changed, and they really haven't. I mean, you go back in the rooms and people are like. You know, they're thoroughly unimpressed. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's changed now, but that's certainly what it was like back then. I've heard um, I've heard it's so, pretty much the same. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, I have to, doing, you know, doing an HBO show has been different, though, you know, because, you know, I can't tell you how many people watch HBO. I know it's kind of the premier cable networker, or was. I guess that's changing because of Netflix and stuff. But, man, oh, man, I mean, really kind of cool people come up to you and tell you, uh, you know, about little moments that you didn't think uh, registered and they knew. I mean, they're heavily invested and involved in the show. So, uh, so it's been a bit of a bit of a, a different experience than, uh, than these other things I've done. Now, so. when, you, when you did Murder One, what was it like for you going, you know, having a background in theater where you perform, 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 what was it like to you transitioning? I mean, I know you had other parts on TV shows, but now you're on it every week. What was it like for your acting and your discipline? I mean, when you do a play, you just, you know, you're on in character for two hours, whatever it is you're working. This, it's like you do your scene, cut, redo it what was for you the transition for me it's always been um kind of a daunting exercise to control my nerves i'm really nervous and you know i was pretty nervous doing that tv series because i always thought i was going to get fired and so it, I, the, the, the whole uh, two seasons was spent just trying to quell nerves by reading self-help books and meditating. Um, I, you know, it's much more liberating being on stage because you often are your own boss, you know. Nobody's going to stop you and give you anal notes about, you know, picking up a cup the wrong way um, like they do. You have to be cognizant of so much more in the way of uh, technical uh, paraphernalia that, you know, you just, you just don't handle when you're doing a play. So... So it, it was a, a real learning curve for me, and uh, I spent the 
entire time watching great actors who were on the show with with me, like Stanley Tucci and Dylan Baker and Patricia Clarkson and uh, Mary McCormick, and just just a great slew of you know character actors who came on to do guest spots like Richard Schiff and. Uh, you know, I learned from guys like that. And so it, it, it was cool, man. It was cool for the money, and it was cool for the artistic experience. And But, you know, it's just a different set of skills, you know. And you continue to learn. I continue to learn now. Like, uh, you know, some days I really suck and don't know what I'm doing, and you feel shitty, and then, uh, and then some days you hit it. Um, I'm more, much more comfortable on set, but I still get really, really nervous when, uh, you know, right before you, you shoot, um, like, uh, you know, the first take of the scene you're shooting, I, I get pretty nervous. And then you kind of relax and get into it. And everyone's largely cool uh, on set. I haven't worked with a, a too many idiots. So, and the, the actors are just so grateful to be, to be there and working, you know. The realities of being a character actor in New York or L.A. are just, uh, you know, I, I, I recommend everyone see this series who's thinking of becoming an actor. Not a series, it was a documentary I was in called That Guy Who Was In That Thing. It's about 16 character actors, and it's about the life of a character actor and what it means, uh, what it means in terms of work, what it means in terms of money, the reality of, uh, of getting work in this, in this really competitive business. It's pretty good. Um, it was directed by a guy called Ian Romain. Ian's, Ian's been on my show. So, Ian, Ian's been on my show. Yeah, because what happened was uh, where I used to I used to record at a studio, and we were right next to New Wave Entertainment, and Brian Volk Weiss yeah, sure. helped uh, produce that show. So Brian was on my show, and then he was talking about that movie, and since then they've come out with a female version, and then Ian just directed a I Star know. Trek version. And uh, so I sent Ian a message because I was into the character actors. And so Ian came on and he was nervous because he's not used to getting interviewed. You know, I mean, it's, he's an agent. Yeah, and sure, uh, sure, sure. yeah, pretty so, smart dude. Oh, yeah, very smart. And he came on. And so I hit him up every once in a while. I go, hey, you got anyone for me? And then he sent me a message. Uh-huh. He goes, oh, man. He goes, two of my clients are on. I feel bad. You got them before I did. And I said, yeah, it's all right. Uh-huh. But you're right. It, it is. It is a great movie because it shows you know, you know. I always look at it. I, I go by IMDb credits. You know, and it's like so yeah. many people have so many, and it's amazing when you look yeah. at a body of work. So it's it's yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's cool. It's cool. It's a, it's a great documentary. So you know, uh, I've had more actors come up to me and talk to me about that than my work. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, so I was going to say. So after you know, after we said you know the murder, the show got you were canceled. You had to go back into the rooms now. Was that frustrating for you? And and how did you sit there and say, you know what, this is? I mean, when did it come to your realization that this is the life of an actor? And a lot of times, you know, you talk to people who aren't in the business, and they think, well, what's you been in? But they don't understand, you know, as a life of an actor, you were constantly working. But were you ever frustrated after you know murder uh, that that show got canceled? Were you ever frustrated and said and said constantly frustrated? I mean, I hate auditioning because I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. You got like a minute and a half to like. I guess there's no other way of doing it, though. They, unless you're really, really well known, um, and all of us are sort of known, but you got to go in there still. So I found it very, very frustrating that some of the material was just so substandardly bad. So auditioning and picking shit off the page and making it real um, in front of a group of strangers for me is horrifying. I mean, I. In many ways, I shouldn't be an actor because I'm so uncomfortable with a lot of attention. So you show up on set and there's 300 people staring at you, waiting for you to do your line. They want to get home to their wives and husbands. And, uh, you know, it's just just a different experience. There's a lot of of self-promoters out there. And I, you know, listen to me. I'm on a podcast talking to you. So obviously I have, you know, I can complete a sentence. But I, I really find the experience... Uh, not not comfortable and auditioning is yeah I can't I can't stand it there are actors that love it but I I, I can't stand it. I gotta get over it you know I've been at this a while I should but you're doing well so, so maybe if you all of a sudden sat there and didn't get afraid of an audition you'd suck in your auditions and you wouldn't get booked maybe that's what adds that 
that nervousness, that energy. You know, they always say you have that spark of energy when you have a little bit of nerves in you. Maybe that's what makes sure. you get the stuff booked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm starting to thankfully get offers. So just the straight offers. I'm doing. I got a. I got an arc, and I'm still on an arc on Madam Secretary. I've done like seven episodes. I play presidential candidates and Evans. So, uh, so that just came about. A final got canceled, and then I decided to take a trip with my family to Greece. We went to Greece, and then a week later, I got we, I got an offer to do this thing. So it's a. Uh, it's cool, and that's all an actor wants to do is work, because work begets work. It doesn't matter what you're doing, really. And the people at the Madam Secretary are great. Taya Leone couldn't be nicer and sweeter and cooler and smart. Um, and then, um, so that that just, it juices you up. I just, uh, I'm going to sound like I'm bragging, but I'm not. I'm just telling you what I'm up to, and maybe people will watch it or whatever, but I'm, I just uh, booked an Aaron Sorkin film called Molly's Game. I signed, signed a non-disclosure agreement, so I can't really get into what it's about, but oh my God, it's so well written. And Sorkin is directing it, which uh, is his first directorial uh, venture, so it's, uh, it should be an interesting experience. We're doing that in Toronto. And it's starring Jessica Chastain and uh, another big star. I can't, I can't remember now, but... Anyway, I play the lead prosecuting attorney. So, so you're getting to work. So now, what is it like? Because you know, after you know, you were auditioning. Then you, you came into Dark Angel, which is a different. Seems like a different kind of series for you. I mean, how did that come about? Yeah. And then, and then once again, it came that's, about through. It came about through Charles Eggley, who was the executive producer on Murder One. I was shooting mini series in Utah. And I got this call from Chick Eggley, Charles Eggley. And he said, listen, uh, we got a character. You'd be great for it. Do you want to put yourself on tape? And I did. I put myself on tape. And they said, great. Uh, we'd like you to test. And I tested with three other actors. And uh, and uh, I was, uh, I, I honestly didn't think I'd get it. So I was not nervous at all uh, for the test. And, uh, and, and that was a great experience because... I was introduced to kids for the, you know, just a completely gener different generation of, of a viewing audience that opened up my world and that bizarrely still recognizes me from that show. So, uh, so it was cool. And I got to tell you, there are very few people that are loyal, like, like Chick Eggley. I mean, that guy has cast me in everything he's executive produced, including uh, Dexter and the cop show starring Michael Chiklis. I can't remember what it's the called. Shield. I mean, yeah, Shield. I mean, just great quality stuff that he was writing and executive producing. And you know, it's all it's just all offers. You know, AJC, do you want to come in? We'd we'd love love you to do this bit. So so it's guys like that and and Marty. You know, Scorsese. I should call him Mr. Scorsese. You know, he's just um, you know it's. There are very few people, as I said, that will do that. So, uh, um, so it's, it's just such a, a nice gesture, you know, and it and it's helped. I mean, those gigs for me have been my primary source of income over a period of uh, you know thirty-year career. So, um, so they pay off, you know. So even the small stuff you do, like you know, I did a week in Montreal on the Aviator. You know, I didn't make much money. I was scale ten, but I, it doesn't matter. I mean, it just serves, you know, it's just, it's all cumulative stuff that adds to your body of work with people, and especially if you're working with talented people like like these guys. Well, with Dark Angel must have been frustrating because once again, it's it's it got very good ratings in the beginning. I mean, it, it got... Yeah, yeah, it got great ratings, yeah. So how does... I think, you know... Yeah, go ahead. No, so how does that, I mean... That must be so frustrating because it gets good ratings, and then once again, you think like you did in uh, your, your first one that you you think that, that you probably thought the show was going to run for a bunch of years. At that point, I've been in the business long enough to know that that's not the case. It's very difficult to book a pilot. It's very difficult to book an audition for a pilot. It's very difficult for a show to last more than a year. If it lasts two years, you're in a unique position. And, you know, past that, and I've never done it, I've never had a series that's gone past two years that I've been a serious regular on. 
I mean, you're in, you're in the sweet spot. I mean, these guys, and I can't believe some of these guys want to get off the show. I think they're younger and don't know the realities of the business, but, you know, I've, I've seen many of them just kick themselves for getting off the show because they wanted to parlay their television fame into, into uh, you know, film stardom, and that didn't happen. <laughs> so when I, you know, so when Dark Angel got canceled, I went, oh, this is what it's like, okay. I mean, it's all like that. I mean, you know, it's very difficult for a show to go. Everyone's very excited about it initially, and even if it does well ratings-wise and you win awards, it doesn't, doesn't really translate sometimes. So you just accept that and move along and don't get too disappointed. I don't get too excited, nor do I get too depressed when things are seemingly, you know, going down the toilet for me. I just sort of, you know, move along and don't take it personally. And because it's fine, you know, as long as you're doing what you want to do, that's, you know. Now, now, when Dark Angel got canceled, did you see it coming, or was it one of those things that was blindsided, or and, and who told no, you? you see it. You see it all coming. You see it all coming in the ratings. I mean, if they're, if you're not getting ratings, I mean, we knew after like the first broadcast of vinyl, I was shocked when you know after after that huge promotional marketing campaign they had for the show that I don't know, not many people tuned in. I don't know if it was because of our competition, The Walking Dead, which had its premiere on the same night. Uh, but, you know, we sort of, everyone was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, we, we don't have enough people watching the show. And that's that's what happened, man. I mean, and I think the show is great. I encourage people out there to watch it. There's some great acting and writing in that show. We had, you know, we had a DP, a killer DP and, uh, yeah, some some wonderful people involved in that thing. So, but that's the reality of the business. You don't, as I say, take it personally. And I, I want to move on and hope. I want to get to vinyl in a little, but I'm going to tell you one thing that threw me off on vinyl, and I love the show. Mm-hmm. Was, was the first episode? Okay. Yeah. Nowhere did it say it was two hours, and usually when you watch a pilot, you uh, think it's yeah. an hour, an hour, ten minutes. So me and my girlfriend, sure, sure, sure. we watched it in the middle of the day, and all of a sudden, I'm like, man, I got to pee. I got I to gotta pause it. And so I pause it, and I go, wait a second. There's still 50 minutes left. And once then, you're already invested. And But I think a lot of people got thrown off because they didn't think they were watching a movie as a pilot. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't know if they... They even, I think they shot uh, Scorsese stuff, and they were like, I don't know, it's all good, let's make it, let's, let's, you know, and Marty was like, let's continue, let's, let's expand, I mean, and there was enough great stuff, I guess they, he and the, and HBO thought that, the, that it warranted, I know, being a two-hour pilot, or whatever it was, I think it was two hours, 15 minutes, something like that, so. Oh yeah, it was, um, it was great, but it's just it when you don't know it, you go in and you go. That's why you know. That's why I love when you we want to watch a movie when you sit there and go, okay, well this movie is a hundred and eighty nine minutes, and this one's ninety seven. What are we in the mood yeah. for tonight? You know, do we want to see something shorter or yeah. longer? But now, now I got to ask you after Dark Angel, you know, you you did a lot of guest stars. What was it like? I, mm-hmm. I know you were a monk. What was it like working with Tony Shalhoub? Because he just seems like you know uh, a real pro. Unbelievably, uh, uh, unbelievably gifted actor. I've seen him on stage after, uh, after that, and uh, he is such a fine stage actor. I mean, I encourage anyone out there listening to you to, whenever he's on stage, and I know he's doing some of the Atlantic Theater um, in the in the new year uh, to to rush out and see this guy act on stage because he's he's really really good. Um, yeah, he's like a pro. I mean, you know, he's friends with Stanley Tucci. They're best friends or whatever. So, you know, all these guys are cool and, you know, they're talented and they've been at it a long time. And, um, yeah, you know, it's funny. A couple of the producers from Dark Angel were producing that show. So, uh, and that's why I, I got an offer to do that. So it's all, uh, you know, it all pays off, you know. 
so uh, yeah, it was cool. It's, I think it was shot in Toronto uh, the first year, and then they moved to LA because I guess Tony wanted to move. Now, during this whole time in, in your in your TV and movie career, have you been doing theater, or have you got a chance to do theater, or are you just no. too busy? Now, do you do you miss it at all? No, I don't. I mean, I got a I got a twelve year old kid, and those these last twelve years, I really wanted to. Uh, I I didn't want to be at the theater from eight to eleven every night, um, especially when he started school. It was like you know, this is my time with him. So I've I've i had no desire to do theater really. I mean, maybe now I'd be I'd be into it, but I I don't like big broad theater. And you know, for me, you know, things are done like a Mike Lee movie. You know, like a, a kind of a documentary style of acting. I'd be into it, but with overlapping dialogue and people talking at the same time. And, uh, but unless it's like that, I'm, I, I, I can't, you know, I, I've seen too many bad plays and I, I know what I like and I don't like that presentational. I don't know who does, but, you know, that's, that's sometimes the case with theater. I mean, I've seen it a lot. And some people like it, some people don't. I don't, so... Now, as, as you've been acting and coming on different shows, you know we talked about the Shield. You were on a few episodes of that. What's it like when you're when you're a guest actor on that, and it is such a tight cast? Is it is it an awkward feeling when you first walk on set because they are they've been together for a long time, or how do you and how do you acclimate to that kind of feeling? I find it sucks every single time. It sucks. It's not fun. Nobody knows you. Nobody wants to know you. You're in and out, especially if you're guest star for the week. And uh, they're over it, you know? I mean, I was very, very aware of, um, you know, uh, guest actors that came on our show, and I was, I wanted to make them feel as welcome and polite. I, you know, would praise them as much as I could because it's a, it's a weird experience coming in there for the week and doing your bit and leaving and feeling appreciated or unappreciated, you know? And after a series, it goes for a number of years, and they see so many actors. I mean, you know, I've run into actors that are, have since become my friends, and I said, you know, I was on your show, and they're like, were you? I said, yeah, I was on your show. You don't remember me? You know, but they see so many actors every week. It's just, you know, and I understand that, but but being a guest, at, a guest, guest star for the week, for the most, you know, Listen, I've been on seven episodes of Madam, Madam Secretary, and it's lovely now. But the first episode is it's kind of hard because no one knows you, and yeah, it sounds like a sounds like not a bad problem to have, I guess. But but just you know, I'm talking about the business of you know doing this a lot. So uh, yeah, it's weird. It's weird, you know. Now, are, are you New York or LA based? I'm in New York now. Okay. I came out to do the show from. The, we had been in Los Angeles for ten years, and then uh, and then uh, I came. We came to New York to do the uh, to do the show. My partner is a uh, writer, screenwriter, Aaron Cressida Wilson. And then we, you know, we decided uh, we got we live in the West Village. We got him into a great school not far. Our son, and uh, so we decided to stay and have a New York experience. He's he's been in L.A. He's been an L.A. kid for ten years, so. So this is—it's been really cool. It's been a great experience. Now, now, as you're acting, you know, and you're doing the different shows, and you've been on a lot—you've been on a great network shows, and you've been on Dexter and stuff like that. Then a show like Hemlock Grove comes along, which is in Netflix. What's it like for an actor when you get to do a Showtime or Netflix or HBO show where it's really driven on content, and there's no, there's no real. Uh, Boundaries, like you can do anything. As an actor, is that a great feeling? Because you know, for a lot of you guys who have been working for such a long time, you started out when it was all network and network, basically, mm-hmm. as you said, except for like Botchko, network had the screen test people. Network producers say, you know, change this, change that. I've heard, I've talked to some writers from Seinfeld who said Larry David was one of the only people that was like, no, if you don't, if you want to look at my scripts, I'm not going to write it. But usually, it's a very constrained <laughs> thing. What's it like for you as an actor? And do you find it a lot? Is it a lot more freedom 
when you start branching into those network well they're not network the cable shows and the, and the pay for you know pay for subscribing shows what is that like for an actor and do you think that's helping the industry I do in a weird way and I really find the and I didn't know this until the show aired but because of the way it's distributed all all dumped in one 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 fell shot that the focus of attention on you as a character you're involved is so much more intense than a serial uh, week-to-week show. I mean, I would have, you know, just weird encounters with people after Hemlock Grove came out, largely kids, but all over the world. I mean, I went to London, and I, just, I wasn't a mob, but I, I mean, it was just, it's just a completely different experience. It's, it's like watching a, I don't know, like a, like a 10-hour movie. So people get heavily invested in the show your characters and anything you do. I've never had that experience and it is completely unique and specific to this new format. So I love it. I think it's fantastic. I, I, I wish everyone would do it. Um, so, but I didn't know that at the time. It's, it's only afterwards where I realized the effect it, it had. And then of course I've watched series myself. I watched the uh, uh, deadline. I think it's Deadline. It's a fantastic Showtime. I think it's Showtime. I may have it wrong. Um, um, about the family in Florida. And Bloodline. Murders, uh, Bloodline. Bloodline. Great show. Deadline. Bloodline. Oh my God. I, 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 I just, I, you know, it's like, it was like when I first got into reading, it was like getting back to a delicious novel. I couldn't wait. I mean, it was like a narcotic. So I think this is, I think this whole new world is, of technology and the way they distribute material and content is fantastic. Now you said about the kids. Now I've heard kids, when kids are fans, they, uh, they're, as you, they're very loyal, but they also are very excited. I've heard stories where they don't want to come up to you, but once they do, it's like bedlam. Have you, have you had anything like that happen to you? Never. Never, I've never had that. No, 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 nothing in the way of bedlam has ever <laughs> approached me. No, people are just nice and sweet. You know, I, I tell you what, I get. Wait, oh my God, do I know you? I know you. I know you. And I'm like, no, you don't. You don't know me. Wait, I, yeah, no, I do. I know you. They insist they know you. But I remember, you know, I was at a political uh, fundraiser for. Uh, Bill Clinton many years ago and and this woman was coming up to me and I went oh my god oh my god and she's like practically rolling her eyes and I said I, I it's so good to see you she said I thought I went to school with her and it was Meg Ryan and I realized it at that moment and you know she just deals with this all the time I'm not in any way equating my career of, <laughs> you know my status uh, to Meg Ryan's but that's that's, uh, you know, it's just it's funny. That, that's largely what I get. I get, I know you, or do I know you, or you look familiar. And, you know, I don't tell anyone I'm an actor. I'll tell you I'm an actor, of course. But uh, because uh, people are so cynical, particularly in the larger cities like L.A. and New York, I just tell people I'm a scientist, and that, that gets them <laughs> off the topic, and we, we move on, you know. You get any good free stuff by people recognizing any of those good perks? You get a publicist, you get perks. Like, I had a publicist for vinyl, and, you know, you know you're know, you not necessarily going to be in the New York Times every every week. So, to supplement what might be a, a, you know, a very minimal amount of press, they have deals with uh, designers, uh, clothing designers. So, because you wear their shit, uh, you're on a TV show, and it's free advertising for them. So, so I get a lot of uh, free clothing. I had a publicist when I was doing Murder One too. And, uh, same deal. So that's uh, those perks are nice, but not not tons of free shit. No. Now with vinyl, I want to talk about vinyl because, as I said, I really enjoyed the show, and um, it was just, it, and I'm, I love music, so it was great. But now when that role came along, 
Uh, were you excited to do that timepiece? And do they, they fit you for a wig? I mean, how does that all work? How do they transform you? Because all you guys, you know, except Ray Romano's hair is always the same pretty much. I mean, the guy's hair has yeah. never changed for 30-odd years. Or yeah, that's funny. But uh, how, how, you know, when you, how did you find out about the series? And when you read it, not only because you worked for Scorsese before, but were you excited for the genre? And, and were you, are you a music fan where something like this really sparks your inner interest? I mean, I know a job's a job, but there's got to be some jobs when you sit there and go, holy crap, this is going to be off the edge. Are you a music person? And did that really make you want to have this role more? Huge. Yeah, I was a huge music person. I'm a huge 70s person. I'm a huge Scorsese person. So it was the perfect combination. And I originally went in for the role Max Casella ended up playing, Julie Silver. And I thought it went well, and Ellen said it went well. And then about a week later, uh, she came back and said it's not going to happen. I was very, very disappointed. Wanted nothing to do with the series. <laughs> it was very bitter. And then, you know, uh, I got a call eight months later. Eight months later. It's a long time. And Ellen Lewis said, listen, they're thinking of writing a character, Skip Fontaine, into the show. And if you can put yourself on tape, we'll consider you if you get it to us by 6 p.m. So I had Aaron put me on tape. I sent it away. I worked with Marty before. I heard back in two days that it went well. We're going to see. And then uh, I think about a week later, I found out I was I was going to be on the show. I couldn't have been more thrilled. I Costumes are costumes. I mean, I walked in, the designer for the show said, I see you as kind of a Herb Tarlick guy. And I went, what? <laughs> You're like, Herb Tarlick? Fuck that. What? <laughs> Fuck that! I, I want to be cool and attractive. You go, no, 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 no. You're, you're like a. I said, uh, okay. You know, whatever you want. So he, I was in a lot of ugly plaid, wide lapels, and not not cool leather like Bobby gets to wear in the show. But, um, but I, I, I wanted to do something a little different. And Marty's into anything in the way of uh, suggestions. Uh, that's the mark of a great director. And he lets you do your your work, and then you know he backs off. Scorsese is a genius that way. I mean, that's why he gets great work out of all his actors because he insists they come in with something. They do, but it's your stuff, you know. So and he just shapes it, molds it. So and he, I came in with these oversized, really ugly glasses. Uh, and he immediately took to those and said, you're wearing those in the show. Part of me was like, oh, I'm horrified that he's chosen <laughs> that. But, but I was the one that suggested it. So, uh, and then the hair, I wore a wig during the pilot, and it was really uncomfortable. We shot in New York City for six weeks, uh, and it was really, really hot. So I said, fuck this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow my own hair. I have hair. And so that's my hair in the series. And... It was so unkempt and ugly, and I had to wear a mustache, and I would drop my son off, and I thought I was homeless. These other parents at his private school, they're just, they were just horrified by my look. They didn't know what I did. I didn't tell them what I did. Uh, you know, so, uh, so as soon as the show came out, they, they sort of got it. But um, So it was, it was a unique, uh, you know, experience, but... Uh, now, now, when you put yourself on tape, how do you get into the mood? Like, I'm sitting here because I record the show here, and I just, when I'm talking, I, I focus on the computer, which basically just has a picture of a phone, and I have another computer with your credits, you know, and so I talk. But this is talk. This is, I'm engaging you. We're having a conversation. When you have to do a audition, don't you feel a little, not trapped, but constrained because, let's say, you're in your kitchen or, I mean, how do you put yourself in character when it's not like you're going on to a set? You're, you're sitting there. You could have been in boxers, you know, 15 minutes before and you get a thing for audition. Yeah, sure. how, how, do you, how do you get ready for that? And where do you usually record yourself? Is there a certain place that you self-tape yourself in your place? Yeah, I definitely, I, I tape right on my couch and I have this weird Murphy bed, this kind of fancy Murphy bed by this company called Resource Furniture that has this back, this weird, beautiful backdrop. So I use that, 
I, I do it on my iPhone. The iPhone is on a box, which is on a table, which is facing me. I have my son, who's 12, who can actually, he's, he's a pretty good reader. So he reads my stuff with me. I gotta pay him because he's not interested in doing it, you know, because uh, I, I gotta put myself on tape a lot. So I pay him, and he puts me on tape. He reads the other part just off to camera right, and it is it is actually lovely. It's liberating. You're very comfortable. You're in your own home. You're working with somebody you know that won't judge you. Um, I I love putting myself on tape now. Um, I, I was a little embarrassed to put myself on tape and ask other people to read with me. So at first I was, you know, recording my own voice with the, doing the other part, leaving enough space to do my part, and then, I don't know, staring into the camera. And my agent was like, dude, this isn't working. I don't, it looks like you're talking to no one. I said, I am talking to no one. He said, you got, you got to stop that. You got to talk to people. Because you got to look into someone's eyes be a human being, you know. So so it was a bit of a learning curve, but um, but now with the technology, it's on your iPhone and in iMovie and then transported via Vimeo to your agency and then the casting director within the hour. Now, I used to put myself on tape with a big boxy, you know, DVD thing and, you know, I'd have to bring it down to an agency and they'd spend a week cutting it and getting it together if they could get it done in that period of time and then you get it and send it, you know, via FedEx to, to the casting directors. And it was a month, you know, it was a long period of time, but technology has completely radically changed this whole thing for the better, I think. So now you 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 know, now you're we're you're on Madam Secretary now. Now what is that like? Is it I mean, you know, what is it like to play a presidential candidate in such a weird time of politics? It's kind of cool. I mean, I'm. It's a little daunting because I'm dumb and 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 have no. Uh, I'm pretty insecure. So so I'm often playing weirdly very smart people who have a lot of confidence, like this guy Sam Evans. He is in the Donald Trump mode. Uh, he's kind of like Donald Trump light. Uh, and you'll see the, as the character progresses out throughout the season what happens. He's pretty Machiavellian. But uh, uh, so it's it's cool, man. It's like you know, you put on the suit. That's half the battle. As long as you you know, I know my lines pretty well, uh, and that's often the key to playing these smart dudes because they don't, you know, smart guys don't. They just say it. You know, it comes out. It's confident. They know what they're saying, and there's not a lot of pausing and hesitating. You know, but so it helps to really know your lines, and as long as uh, that's done. That's half the battle, and it, the cast couldn't be sweeter. I mean, it's a great, lovely group of people. As I mentioned, she's she's delightful, and I met all the other actors. or knew them before, like Jeff Ivanek and, and people like that. And they're just you know they're great old New York theater actors. So now where does it, where does it shoot? There's a studio in Brooklyn. Shoots in Brooklyn and uh, and uh, Queen uh, Queens. I'm sorry, Queens. Uh, Silver Cup Studio. So, and then we're on location a lot, so. so I've just shot in the park, uh, you know, in lower Manhattan. I had a bunch of extras pretending they were into me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, so, uh, now, now, did you know it was going to be a recurring when you first got it, or did the character build? I, you know, he's running for the presidency, uh, so I knew something was going on. Um, I know it was probably going to be more than one one or two episodes, but I had no idea. I mean, it's still continuing, and I can't really get into divulging the storyline, but uh, so we'll see, man. It's cool. I mean, it's a job. Now, now you, you shoot tomorrow. I shoot tomorrow, yeah. Now, how do you prepare the night before? Like, what, what, what will you go through to be ready to go to work tomorrow? It's not like you're an accountant where they go, oh, we're just going to look at the books. What do you do, like, the night before, and do you get antsy before you go? No, I mean, you just, I just make sure I know my lines. That's half the battle. You can't improvise in a show like this. So, so you really have to know your shit. Um, and you can't, 
I mean, it's it's horrifying to show up uh, and not know your lines and sit in front of a camera and watch, you know, others watch you, you know, stumble and mumble and 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 try to get through it. And that often happens because we in television you don't get the material. I need like five days with the material to get it under my belt so that it's comfortable enough that it sounds like it might be coming from me. But, you know, often you just don't have that time. So I did a guest spot on a show which will remain unnamed. It's now canceled, thank the Lord. Anyway, it was, uh, you know, I had to learn five pages, five pages of dialogue, and the majority of, of it was me speaking within 18 hours. So I took the gig, it was a straight offer. I went to, you know, I flew up to do the gig and I hired in a, a local actor to help me with these lines because I needed to drill them because I was doing it. I was doing it in less than a day. I just couldn't do it. I just didn't have it. And I get fired. So, and they will fire you. That's why you have to know your shit. Um, it, it, you know, it, I, I, I talked to the lead actor on the show. He goes, listen, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do because it was kind of flowery language. You know, sometimes it was changed while you're walking toward the set and they insist on it being more perfect. I don't know. For me, it was impossible. So, listen, I've been fired twice in my career. And one time... You know, as I said, it was I was replaced by a, a larger African American woman, and and this this time I was replaced because I didn't know my lines. I don't know. I, there's no excuse for it. But uh, then again, I talked to other actors, and you know, there are people that have photo. I think Ray Romano has a photographic memory. I said, like, when do you learn your lines? He goes, oh, the night before. I'm like, what? The night before? Oh, yeah. but, you know, some people have that talent. Well, cool. So, so, Madam Secretary, when is that going to be start airing? Oh, it's there. Yeah. I mean, I when mean, are you? I, are you on? When are you? Are you when, like? Are you on the next episode, or what are we going to do? Yeah, yeah. I'm on, I think I'm on the next episode. I, I don't know what episode they're into, but I was in the uh, uh, first episode. Of it was the premiere episode directed by Morgan Freeman, which was a cool experience because I had no idea what Morgan Freeman's going to be like. And of course, he's such a great actor. He was so cool with the actors. Like all great directors, he just left you alone. You know, as long as you were doing the work, he just left you alone. He trusts his actors, which is what, you know, just because you say, they say you're a director doesn't mean you have to direct. Often it means not directing, you know, just sort of seeing what happens or evolves. So he was like that. I, I love, love working with him. Anyway. So we'll we'll see you throughout the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I, I want to thank you for coming on, man. I'm glad you got back to me. It was funny. It was a year later. Holy <laughs> smokes! It's been a it's been an hour. Yeah, my show's an hour. It goes fast. on. No, it's good. Now, now, do you do you Twitter? Do you tweet? Yeah, I Twitter. What's what's your what's your handle? I don't know. I yeah. don't know it. Okay, people uh, just type I in. I think it's J J C McKenzie official. I, I don't know. People, it's like a. They can just Google it. So like, people, pe people, they can Google. Yeah, J Google it. Google it. Google J C McKenzie Twitter. Follow him. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. I'm at Cooper Talk. I tweet all the time. I write a lot of jokes on there. It's fun time. Um, go to my website, CooperTalk.net. I have 560 episodes up there. You can email me at Cooper. What? Yeah, it's a lot. You can email me at cooper at coopertalk.net because I will get back with you. Uh, Instagram and words with friends, coopertalk1. I'll play with words with friends. I'm good and I'm bad. I have some good days, I have some bad days. Instagram, I post a lot of food pictures because my cookbook is at stopthesalt.com. When I had that heart problem, I wrote the book. It's 120 easy recipes. No pictures that intimidate you. They're for one person. No big list of ingredients. Basic ingredients. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. You don't need cumin. Now, you can get it at StopTheSalt.com or you can get it at Amazon.com. If you get it at Amazon.com, I make less money. So get it to StopTheSalt.com. I will personally sign it for you. And go to IMDb. Look at J.C. McKenzie's 
wonderful, wonderful uh, list of work and check them out. And keep listening. Uh, next week, we have uh, Martha Davis from the motels coming in, a few other people. So please look up JC McKenzie, M A C K E N Z I E, and follow him on Google. I mean, on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, and take your vitamins. And I will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>